Welcome to the Just Culture Podcast. I'm Mary Jane. On this show, we are dedicated to creating a safe and just healthcare system. It's no secret to the public that the healthcare system is in a crisis. Nurses and doctors are being asked to take care of sicker patients than we've ever had before with less resources and hospitals are operating under a critical staffing shortage. Some hospitals don't even have the staff to stay open, let alone be profitable and care for their communities. This needs to stop. On this show, we are going to have the difficult conversations, take a look at where we're at, and also come up with solutions on how to fix this. Where do we go from here? How do we take care of our caregivers? How do we give our patients the best care? Those are the questions that we are interested in answering here each and every week. Hello and welcome to the Just Culture podcast. So last week we talked about the five signs that your facility is struggling. This information, as we discussed last week, could be used as from a CEO standpoint, from, you know, the thousand mile view looking down in um, at the nitty gritty of the healthcare industry of your facility kind of getting a pulse on what's happening it can also be used for staff and other healthcare providers looking for a job right if you know that there's a lot of travelers high turnover rate that's the first sign that there might be something going on it might just be a sign that they're growing and doing something really really well so you have to ask questions and um do a little bit more research, but still something to look at. This week, I wanted to follow up from that episode and really talk about what would a good leader do. So I say you need safe and just healthcare system. Leadership has to take action. You have to do X, Y, Z. But what is what is X, Y, Z? Let's define that this week and um, really get in there. Now, I want to start by saying every single place Every single facility has different caveats, right? A nursing home might pull from a lot of these um, theories that I, I have here. A hospital might do the same, outpatient might do the same, but each place has their own caveats. So there might be something to add, something to take, something might not apply. Take what you will from this. If you just pull one point from this podcast and from this teaching and apply it, you're gonna see growth, right? And a lot of this growth really is, it doesn't even cost any money, um, these, these things to implement. So, um, I want to start by saying, okay, so we see on TV, on the news, nurses are on strike. They're on strike. What do they do? What do the signs say? Nurses are asking for better pay. They're asking for better paid time off. They're asking for safe staffing ratios. They're asking for safe workplaces and protections from their employer, and they're asking for a union. Why? Is it because they're greedy and they want more money? Is it because they just don't want to work? They just don't feel like going to work and they, you know, they just, it's more work to take care of more patients. So I really just, you know, I would just rather have less. No, that's not at all what it is. Nurses are asking for safe staffing ratios. And they want a union to make sure that they have some recourse and some way to implement 
and enforce safe staffing ratios because nurses know that their patients are going to have better outcomes. Their patients are going to get better care. Their patients will be safer in their hands if they don't have too many patients and their time and resources aren't spread so thin. Nurses also know that safe workplaces keep them safe. I don't know how many times I have personally been injured by patients who are physically harming me. I mean, I think I spoke um, on one of my episodes here about a patient who had a syringe and was stabbing me in the arm. There was no needle on it, luckily, but there could have been. What if they had gotten a needle from someone and, and was stabbing me there? That would have been time and money. I would have been out of work. They would have had to pay me for it. I mean, that's just unnecessary um, injury to me and unnecessary money lost for the company, right? Uh, nurses are asking for better pay. Yeah, they are. Um, because we know that to give good care and to recruit quality healthcare workers, quality nurses to work alongside us, we know you need to pay, right? Nurses are gone traveling. Why are nurses going traveling? Is it because there's so much money in traveling? Not necessarily. Maybe for some, that's, I mean, traveling's always been there, but for a lot of people, it's because the work is so hard and the burnout is just so much that they can go and work for a 16, 12, 10 week stretch, make more money than they make in being a staff member, and then take some time off to recoup. What if we built a world where nurses didn't have to recoup for months on end because they just worked 10 weeks in a row? And I'm not saying 10 weeks of overtime. I'm saying 10 weeks of normal work. That's that's just ridiculous. Um, so nurses really aren't asking for greedy, selfish things. Everything a nurse is asking you for is intentional and is meant to make their job easier to give better, safer patient care. Nurses are on the front lines. Nurses are the glue that holds the whole entire healthcare system together. And so what we've done throughout centuries has been the one to anticipate what our doctors need, been the one in the OR to anticipate what our surgeons might come up against and might need and be there and fill that gap. We're there for therapy when therapy's overwhelmed and therapy can't get to their patient to work them out. Nursing will work them out. We're there for the pharmacy when the pharmacy's too busy. Nursing will mix the drugs. No need for pharmacy. You just tell me what I got to do and I will do it because that is going to help you. So a nurse is the one to fix everything. So when a nurse is coming to you asking for something that they need, you listen. You stop everything you're doing and you listen because you know that that nurse is the fixer. That nurse is the one to be rescuing everybody and taking care of everybody. And when she turns around and says that she needs something because she can, she's maxed out, she can't do anymore, you need to listen. And that's really the heart of what a really strong leader will do. Um, but I will proceed and give you more tangible um, advice. So the very, very first thing any, any leader does, and I'm talking like the CEO, let's just go from that, that viewpoint, right? So this is the, we're going to use a hospital as our model, but we could do anything. We could use Amazon as our model. We could use um, Apple. I mean, anything, any, any kind of business with a leadership structure, you can adapt all of these steps into how to be stronger, how to be more mindful, how to be more intentional, how to lead better on purpose so that 
you can have better outcomes so that you can your company can be more successful so that you can serve your community better right whatever your community looks like is it me that's going to go buy an apple iphone i don't know or is it grandma susie who just had a heart attack it doesn't matter all of these principles are the same so number one is you monitor if i'm the ceo and i'm just got into work in a hospital i'm the first thing i'm going to do is pull data on each unit for the five signs that we talked about last week. I want to get the pulse on the hospital. I want to get the pulse on how everything is running. I want to see who's doing well and who's who's not. Who, who needs support? Who doesn't? Maybe everything is, is going great. Maybe everything is awesome and um, you're, you're, you're doing well. Great. But if not, then let's look at it, right? So you could pull the, you could pull the five signs and the statistics on them according to the whole entire hospital, but I do encourage you to break them down and go unit by unit. Um, I'll give you really quickly what those five signs are just in case you did miss last week, but just know I did do a really great deep dive into each one of them. So it, you might want to pause, go back and listen, and then come back to this episode. But the five signs that your facility is struggling is one, you have a high staff turnover rate. You're either having a hard time recruiting staff, you're having a hard time retaining staff. Um, there's something going on with staffing. People aren't staying. People don't want to come work for you. Um, there's something going on there. That's number one to look at. That's the number one sign. That is like the first red flag that that has people start leaving. Well, then you have to ask, why are so many people leaving? And if you're looking at it from your hospital standpoint, your numbers might be great. But then I want you to dig deeper into it and go look on a unit by unit basis because you might have seven units in your facility and six of them are doing great. But all the turnover is coming from this one unit. Well, you got to fix that problem, right? Because like we said last week, if you have one toxic person, it can ruin the whole morale for everybody. Same thing. One toxic unit can ruin everything for the hospital. So definitely, definitely look at the staff turnover rates. And if you're high, explore it. Why are we, you know, why are, why do we have a high turnover rate? Why do we need to hire a lot of travelers? That's just expensive. And who needs to be spending that much money, right? When we could have staff that we could pay and give benefits and love on on a regular basis, no ongoing training, no ongoing contracts and recruitments and costs going up for contractors and, and things like this. We figure out why people don't want to work for you or why people aren't staying and fix that. Number two is poor patient or client complaints. If your patients are, if you have one patient complaining out of, you know, a thousand and it's because nurse, Joe didn't get the ginger ale in time. Okay, well, that's just in, an impatient person or maybe somebody who just needed an obscene amount of ginger ale or some, or just you, you just can't make that person happy no matter what. But if it's coming, you're getting the same complaints, you know, like I had to wait forever to go to the bathroom. My nurse was rushed. My doctor was rushed. I barely got to see anybody. And you, you look through the complaints and, and you have a lot of the same complaints it's worth investigating, you know, what's going on. Um, are my pa are the patients waiting an obscene amount of time to go to the bathroom? That's a patient safety issue, right? Because if we can't get our patients up to the bathroom and they have to wait and wait and wait and wait, well, people don't like to 
pee their pants, right? So they're going to get up and go to the bathroom, even though that might not be safe. And they might fall and hurt themselves. And then that just snowballs into a whole world of other issues. So if you are seeing complaints come in on your little surveys, instead of putting blame, just explore it. Just, just sit with it, explore it, find out what's going on. Like I said, find out if it's hospital-wide or if it's just a unit, what's happening on that unit. Um, I mean, it could be something as simple as the process with which the secretary receives a request on the call bell to getting the information. They just don't have a good streamline to communicate for the secretary to communicate to the CNA or nurse that Grandpa Joe wanted ginger ale and it wires get crossed easily and you could you could easily fix that. That's a workflow issue. So always make sure you're looking at those things and patient complaints. Step number three is increase patient incidences. So look at the fall rates, look at the medication errors, look at the pressure, pressure wounds that are developing on in, in your facility and look at infections. I'm talking about central line infections, hospital acquired infections like MRSA, um, C, uh, CRE, um, C, C diff. Um, look at, look at those types of things. And COVID is now becoming a, um, hospital acquired infection as well. And, central line infections, I think I said, and um, urinary tract infections. So look at all of those data. There's tons of research on all of this stuff. And you can see, you know, there's a lot of things that nursing can be doing to prevent infections, to prevent pressure wounds, to prevent medication errors, and to prevent patient, patient falls. The research is endless. You can find so much and every nurse knows all of it. Do some people deviate from what they know and cut corners and make errors? Yes. But if you're seeing a trend and you're seeing numbers climb when they were, they used to be really good, you know, you want to explore it because there's something happening, right? I was working on a unit. We were fully staffed. Everything was amazing. And then all of a sudden we had this mass exodus of CNAs and every nurse had to work by themselves every shift, at least the ones I was on. And we ended up we ended up having a lot of falls after that. And that was because we stopped being able to respond to call bells as quickly as possible, right? As quickly as we used to, as often as we used to. If I'm by myself, I can't be everywhere all at once and I'm, you know, cycling through all my patients, but it takes a while to get back to that first patient and it you know, and, and they might've needed something in between and there was nobody to go, to go in, in there and take care of it. And then you have the patients who are confused and just won't get out of bed and you have to constantly be stuck in there or else the second you walk out the door, they're falling on the floor because they follow, tried to follow you right out. So, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into preventing all of these issues, falls, med errors, pressure wounds, infections, but there's also resources that only management leadership can provide that can help the nurses, the CNAs do a better job to implement this research and to, to get their work done. And so it's always worth, always, 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 if you've gotten to this point where your patients are now being harmed, you need to be in there and you need to be figuring out what is going on. Um, you cannot ignore this. A patient fall might be just a patient fall, but guess what? It's going to be later. It's going to be a lawsuit later. And that's going to cost you a lot more money. That pressure wound you're not going to get reimbursed from insurance, from, from Medicaid. If your patient gets a pressure injury, you have to eat all of that cost and everything to heal that. 
the staff member, the wound care specialist, the surgeries that it might require, all the dressings, all the bandages, you got to eat that because that is, that should have never happened, right? The steps should have been in place to make sure that that didn't happen. And who wants to eat all that cost? Those can be pretty costly, especially if you have a really sick patient with diabetes who isn't eating, that can be a nightmare. That could be a nightmare for you. And you, you, if you're noticing a trend that's, that's upticking in any one of these areas, get in there and research it, figure out what's going on. It might be that your staff needs more education, easy, simple fix, educate them. It might be that they're short staffed and they just can't be everywhere all at once, even though they're doing the best that they can. So maybe you need a workaround. Maybe you need to divert patients from that unit to a different unit so that the, until you get your staffing numbers up, you can't staff it the same way that you could when you were fully staffed. Maybe, I don't know. After number three, what you're going to start seeing and um, is employee injuries, workers' comp claims. If I'm a nurse and I'm taking care, or even if I'm a CNA and I have a patient who needs to get transferred to the wheelchair, if I've got staff available to me, then two of us are going to move that patient because that's a safe thing to do. They're two-person assist, meaning that they can bear some weight, but they can't bear a lot of weight and they need direction and they need someone really on both sides of them to be able to safely move. If I don't have the staff, I still got to get that patient in the wheelchair. If nobody can come to me, or if I'm in a toxic work environment where nobody wants to help me, even though they're probably sitting around, maybe doing nothing, maybe doing their own work, but completely ignoring the fact that I need help, I'm going to have to do it myself. I'm going to have to roll that patient in bed myself and I can hurt myself. If we're fostering an environment, um, we are unsafe patient handling, right? Like I've you know, you're not getting your really bad detoxing patients to the ICU to get the appropriate level treatment. You're keeping them on the floor and we can't sedate people on the floor. So they're up and they're belligerent and they're hallucinating and they're harming us. Um, and they're, you know, punching, kicking staff, throwing things at staff. I mean, people are going to get hurt. People are going to get hurt. When nurses have to lift heavy patients by themselves when they shouldn't, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt and you have to, you not only have to pay the bills to, for the treatment that they have, you also have to pay them for being out of work and you've now lost, you, you've now lost the productivity and you've lost that person being able to actually work for you, right? Um, so we should never let it get this far. I mean, injuries happen, right? Things just happen. Patients just can be come delirious. Um, you know, different things can happen and, but that shouldn't be common. Right. Um, and then step five is you, you end up with a lawsuit. Like I said, a fall is a fall is a fall. And then it becomes a lawsuit. So you need to make sure that you are addressing these issues long before you get to step five, right? If you address number one, you can probably prevent a lot of falls, med errors, pressure wounds, and infections because your staff has the resources that they need to be able to implement all of the interventions needed to prevent falls, medications, pressure wounds, infections. Um, and then if you don't have any of those, you're going to have less med malpractice suits, right? Now we just have to look at the doctors and make sure that they're good. 
but make sure you tune into last week. I did dive in a lot deeper to those, but that's number one. If I'm the CEO, I've just started working at this hospital. I've taken over. That's the first thing I'm doing. I'm pulling these numbers on my hospital as a whole, and then I'm breaking down and pulling the numbers for unit by unit as a whole. And then the next thing I'm going to do, so say I find one unit in my hospital or two units, whatever, that have high numbers. One thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to go directly to the middle manager and be like, what are these numbers, right? This is the, this is like the director of, or the manager of that unit. Well, you can go to them and talk to them about it and get their point of view, but I would never stop there because the middle manager is going to, I don't want to say they're going to lie. So what you have to realize is that the manager of a unit to the CEO and upper management, they see everything that goes on on their unit as a direct reflection of their ability to lead that unit. And so they're going to come at you with an answer that is from that lens. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. They're absolutely right that what's going on in that unit is there, does reflect their ability to effectively lead the unit if they're letting toxic work environments, bullying, if they're chronically understaffed and not taking care of their employees, not coming to you as the CEO saying, we need XYZ on this unit because our numbers are dwindling because we have increased falls. Um, if they're not doing that, not advocating for their unit and for their staff and for the needs, then they're not leading effectively. That's their job, right? Because you're the CEO that's looking from a thousand mile view down, you're relying on them to come to you when they need something. And why, right? You need the rationale. You can't just be like, I need more staff. And you're like, why? Like, because it's fun. You have, they have to tell you why they have to say my falls are high and they're going up as my staffing's decreasing. And so I need either less patients on my unit or I need more staff. And as a CEO, you have to weigh that. Do you want to take hit less revenue? with less patients? Or do you want to add more staff? What's going to be better? Or do you want to keep staffing it high and then keep having falls and pressure wounds and eat your cost that way? Um, but what I would really do is, yes, talk to the middle manager, but don't leave it there. I would, I would just show up and you know who you sit with? You shadow on the unit for a shift. Go, go there for a whole shift. People can put up a front and be friendly and happy and exciting on a 12 hour shift or even an eight hour shift probably for the first couple hours. And then um, once they miss lunch and they're exhausted and they're hungry and they start to get cranky and you can see it in their face. So you go there for a whole shift, clear your calendar. I know it's a pain, but you're going to do it. You clear your calendar and you sit with the secretary. You don't sit with the manager. You don't shadow one nurse. You don't sit with the charge nurse. You sit with the secretary because you're going to see how many times that call bell rings. You're going to see, you're, you're going to see the, by the end of the day, you're going to see the faces on the staff when they say grandpa Joe has called again for ginger ale and you're going to see it and you're going to feel the frantic stressed out energy and you're, you're going to get a good pulse because the secretary knows what's happening on the unit. The secretary knows which staff members overwhelmed. The secretary knows all the trouble patients. The secretary knows everything. Yes. I mean, other people do, but, um, the secretary, if you sit there, you're getting the pulse on everything. You know what you're out of because people come by complain and be like, well, we're out of catheters. Oh my goodness. And we can't get it from anyone else. And you have to call and figure it out. So, um, 
you know, patients come in and go and the secretary knows. Secretary knows all and that's who you're going to sit with and you're going to, you're going to get it. Um, you're not going to schedule this because the manager is going to move patients around and people around and they're going to close down rooms on the unit and make it be the very best shift you've ever seen in your whole entire life with all their best staff. And they're going to prep them and tell them everything that they need to say while you're there so that you get down there and you'll be like, oh, this is like the best place to work. I don't know what's going on. No, no, no. You're going to show up unannounced and just sit with the secretary. It's your prerogative. You're the CEO. Why not? Um, and you're going to get the real deal. You're going to get the real deal. You can even take it a step further and you can look at the staffing numbers and find out which days are um, the least staffed and which days you're having your most incidences, which days are you having the most falls um, of the week, right? Um, could be on the weekend because there may be even less staffed at that time. Go then. Go then. If it's an overnight shift, that is really the issue. Um take the next day off. Um, but I would definitely go out, get the pulse on it. What this does is it one gives you the pulse on the unit, the real true deal and what it's really like to work there. But also number two is you have all these staff members that see you there. They one get to know your face and they get to know that you care. Like you're not there. Make sure that they know you're not there to judge them and be like, are you doing your best? You're like, I'm here just to figure out what it's like to be on this unit. And I just really want to know and get the pulse and see what you guys are dealing with and see what you're struggling with and to see how I can help. You would have no idea how much that will mean to every single person that works on that unit. It might panic the, the manager of the unit. Um, but if they've got nothing to panic about, um, they'll probably be really grateful that you took interest and you're there to help because that's what you're there for to help. The next thing that I would recommend is you listen to your staff. You listen to your staff and go beyond listening. I want you to hear your staff, right? So you see all of these nurses on strike outside of a hospital saying, we want safe staffing. We want safe workplaces. We don't want workplace bullying. Um, we want you to pay us fairly so that we can get some staff to help us. Um, no one's really listening. The news is typing up a lovely story about what they're doing, but is anybody hearing them? The, the union's hearing them. Um, and you know, the union gets to, you know, represent them and, you know, gain more hospitals, which, which then gains them more money. Right. But what if your nurses didn't need a union because it was just, you just fostered a great environment for them to work in. Now, as a CEO working in a, you know, office, looking at everything from a 10,000 foot view, you might have ideas about what can make life easier to work in your facility, but until you've experienced it, you don't really know. You know who knows? The staff know. The staff know. I pioneered and started this program. Uh, well, I didn't start it. So the hospital, the company I was working for, um, it was called Operational Excellence. I'm really sure you can Google it. It was like this whole, it's research-based in that the staff know what they need to do their job easier. The staff know what they need to be more productive, right? And so the whole premise of this program was for the staff to look at their job and their daily functions and say, I want to improve here. And this is what I need 
to do it. And, and they're actually coming up with KPIs, key performance indicators, that measures if they're doing a better job in this area. And then they're looking and breaking down the data and saying, well, we're not doing, we're not hitting the, our goals because of this or because of X or Y or Z, whatever it is. And then leadership, like the CEOs of the big umbrella corporation come around on, it was daily in the beginning and that's what the research shows, but you, you could do it less often, maybe weekly and check in to say, okay, what are your, what are you guys working on? How can I help? Um, a really great example was I was working on a unit and, um, I was working, I was outpatient and we wanted to, we knew to do our jobs better when we were getting patients in rooms or doing procedures is we wanted our room stocked the night before. So when we came and we had patients sitting in the waiting room and we opened, we could just get them back to a room and get going and have the day run smooth. So we started measuring, you know, every, our goal was every room is fully stocked before we go home. And so we had that as our KPI and every morning somebody would come through and look at the rooms to see if they were fully staffed or just check in with the staff member be like, was your room stocked? And they'd be like, yes or no. Um, and then if we hit it, we would be in the green. If not, then we would be in the red. And we, we were measuring how many rooms we had and how many of them were stocked, how many of them weren't. And that way we could tell, you know, is is it just one person who's not stocking rooms or do we have a problem across the board? Turns out we had, we found we had a problem across the board. So then we started looking into, well, what items aren't stocked? And it was always linens. And so we're like, okay, so we can stock everything, all of the supplies, the gloves, the surgical stuff, the, you know, gauze, the, the, the sanitary wipes, like all of, all of that stuff, but the linens we were always out of. And so every morning we had to scramble to get linens. And we found it was because the linen company wasn't dropping off our clean linens until after we had closed at night. So say we close and everybody leaves by like 5.30. Well, the laundry company wasn't coming until 8 o'clock at night. And they thought that was great so that we would have everything we needed in the morning. And CEOs thought that was wonderful. But if the one thing we need is linen, and that's going to help our day run smoother so that we're more productive and our patients aren't waiting and we can see more people and we can get more patients in and out of the building. We told our CEO that, can we have that linen? Can we see if that company can drop our linen off maybe at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock and then we can stock our rooms and take care of the linen before we go and then the next morning we're ready to rock and roll. Easy, took a phone call, they got it done and we were able to meet our goals and our days were running a lot smoother and we were able to get so much more done. It didn't take an extra penny from leadership to be able to implement that, right? It, it was so simple. And the point I'm making here is that we know as staff members, we know what we need. We know what we're missing. We know what bugs us and what bugs us if we can fix that, then we can make everything easier. Sure, other things will bug us, but that's just, we're gonna continue to grow and push ourselves to be better and better and better every day. Um, and as we should, right? As every facility should. Healthcare is a moving, breathing entity and it's constantly changing. So you can't expect the same staffing ratios. You can't expect the same number of supplies. You can't expect to run everything the same when you're growing on a year to year basis. Um, this same company I worked for, this was like my favorite kind of, um, I learned so much about leadership from this company. Um, the CEO quarterly would meet with us. We, um, we ended up having a high turnover rate and it 
we were working on it and the leader actually the ceo of the big umbrella company so not our our facility but the facility that owned our facility would come and sit with us just the staff and had to get us lunch or we would bring our own lunch sometimes they didn't always buy us lunch we we would just sit and they would be like what do you love about your job what do you hate about your job and they made sure that this is confidential we cannot tell our man you know we're not talking to your manager about what you say i just really want to know what you need because i have oversight on policies and, and things like that and we were able to work out a lot of stuff um and we didn't have a union we didn't even need a union we just had a really responsive leader who really listened to us and they took it a step further and heard what we were saying when we asked um one of the big things was work-life balance um and we were actually able to um make some changes that that just really helped because you know when you work monday through friday 8 a.m to 6 p.m and you have no days off during the week you can't get to the dentist you can't get anywhere and so we were spending all of our vacation time going to the doctors and one of the things that they said we could do was you could leave an hour early one day so you could go to the dentist or go to the doctor and then you know come in a little bit early the next day and, and make up your time throughout the week that was something we were absolutely not allowed to do before and then they found out that that was really important to us that we still get to have that rest time and vacation and we still get to have clean teeth. Um, so it's so simple sometimes, but just listen to your staff, just listen to your staff. They know what they need, especially if you're at step one where you have a high turnover rate. This is so important at this moment to make sure that you are letting them know that you care and that you want their job to run smoother and you're interested. And then you need to take steps, right? You can't just listen to them and be empathetic and, you know, give them that face like, oh, I totally hear you and I'm so sorry you're struggling with that and then do nothing with it. You you have to work with them and, and figure out a workaround. Um, but yeah, that is definitely the step. And then finally, your focus anywhere in healthcare, anywhere in the world for that matter, is on loving people and not money, right? So in healthcare, we're always talking about profit you know, profit, profit. Um, I've talked about so much this, um, six Sigma and running the hospital, like it is a Ford manufacturing company, right? So the patient is the widget. So the patient's like the truck we need to fix and the insurance company or the government who government insurance, they're the ones that are giving us money. So they're the customer. And so we're catering to insurance and we're trying to treat the patients as cheap and quick as we can, right? If I'm just putting it in layman's terms, we want to get that patient in the door, out the door, collect the cash. And that is the focus. You're worshiping money, you're focusing on money, and you've missed the point. Healthcare is to treat and promote health in the patient, in the people, in your community. Some hospitals say, you know, we're all about patient-centered care. Well, patient-centered care, as long as it's cheap so that we can rake in the profits, um, that's what we're going to do. Um, and I'm not saying anybody is truly evil. I'm just saying that um, you might be taking your advice on what to do when you're looking um, from your um, accountant or your finance, chief finance officer alone, and you're not looking into... Um, other things like where are you bleeding money? 
hospitals bleed money all the time. Um, where, where do hospitals bleed money? So hospitals bleed money in injuries, injuries to patients. Um, they bleed money injuries to staff, like we talked about. Um, they bleed money on lawsuits. In fact, some hospitals who have a high rate of lawsuits will actually budget X amount of dollars for settlements. And lawyers know this and they're like, oh yeah, they'll just settle because, you know, they, they just have a budget for it. That's not the point of the legal system. The point of the legal system is to hold those accountable so that we make the changes to keep healthcare safe and just for all. That's the goal. And so if you're budgeting for lawsuits, do you really care if you're getting lawsuits? Are you, is that your focus? No, you're not because you it's in the budget, right? It's only when it exceeds the budget that you do care. And then um, are you being accountable to it, right? Or are you saying, oh, well, it was just the nurse. The nurse did something wrong. But you're not looking at, well, I had, you know, this system was broken and and this operations, the standard operation for that is, um, you know, bogus and nobody's updating our policies and, and we're running on outdated information and we're understaffed. And um, you're not going to talk about that. You're just going to say, well, that nurse should have known. And then throw the nurse under the bus and then you get to move on. But that's not that's, that's not loving people. That's not loving your nurse. That's not loving the person who got injured. That's not loving the family members that have to deal with this. That's not loving people. That's loving money. Um, hospitals bleed money for non-reimbursable conditions. Like if a patient develops a pressure injury in your facility, you are responsible for all of the treatment for that. Any extra hospital days that they have to stay because of it, any surgeries they need because of it, any antibiotics they need because it might get infected, all of that the hospital has to eat. So who wants who wants that? That's ridiculous. Um, and something like a UTI or a catheter-associated infection can be very serious and require a lot of resources that the hospital will have to just pay out of pocket. And um, that's just unnecessary. You need to do everything you can to prevent it. And that doesn't mean putting it all on the staff. There's a lot of things your staff can do, but your staff can only do as much as they have the resources available to do. So you have to make sure you're giving them the resources to do their job. If you are giving them the resources and you've gone through and you've done all of these steps and you've listened to them and you've shadowed on the unit and you know that they're fully staffed and the patient ratios are meeting the minimums recommended and that are safe according to research and your staff still aren't doing what they're what they're supposed to do, then maybe they need some education, right? And you need you need to do some education and make sure that they understand what they're supposed to do. Um that is always an option, but definitely you don't want to bleed money for um, conditions that are created because of poor leadership in your hospital. Um, lost wages due to employee injury. We talked about that. And um, another place where um, you bleed money is that patients end up going to hospitals or nursing homes where they know they'll get better care. You see this in nursing homes. So if I have money and I'm paying cash for my mother to go into a nursing home, I'm not sending her to the lowest rate state facility that's run horrible and um, has really bad statistics and will get really bad care. No, if I have money, I'm sending my mom to the best place with the best care and I know that she will be the safest. Um, 
if I have really low payer like Medicare, I'm going to probably end up having to go to the lower pay um, facility because that's all I can afford. And that means that facility is getting paid at a lower rate than someone who can pay for cash or has better insurance coverage. So um, if you don't take care of your patients, they talk. Your patients might have dementia and physically can't tell people things, but um, their family members will talk and they talk to other family members and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this place for rehab. Like, no, you're not. You are not going there. You're going X, Y, Z. And you want to know um, the best place to go. You're going to ask a nurse in your area because they know. They know where the bad facilities are that patients are getting the worst care. They know. I have a number of facilities that I would never send a family member to. I would never send my worst enemy to actually in my area. And um, yeah, anybody who asks me, I say don't send people there because people are getting really bad outcomes there and I'm seeing a lot of complications. So don't be that facility. Don't be that facility. Focus on loving people, not loving money. The money will come, right? You, I mean, if you're focusing on, you know, pinching dollars, you're acting like there's no more dollars to be had, right? It's like, this is just a finite number of dollars and I can never make more that you're setting yourself up for it to be true because you are not going to have the staff to be able to grow and build new units if you're treating your staff so horrible that they're all leaving and you can't keep people to take care of your patients. Um, if you're having a lot of lawsuits, well, patients aren't going to go to you when, when they have a choice to go somewhere else. And also, you're losing all kinds of money to all the areas that I said you're bleeding money from. So listen to this episode again. Listen to this episode on repeat. Listen to last week's episode to get a pulse on where you're at. Take inventory. Use this week's episode to really dive in. Maybe one day I'll do an episode on the mindset of this loving people, not money thing. Um, let me know if that's what you, um, if you would be interested in something like that. Um, but do make sure that you share this episode with others, um, spread the word. I really do this stuff to help, um, and make things easier for everybody and, um, leave us a review and until next week, we will see you next time. Hey there. This is the part of the podcast where I get to make my lawyer smile and I get to tell you that the purpose of this podcast is for educational purposes only. I am not a lawyer and therefore not your lawyer or giving you any kind of legal advice, as well as I am a nurse, but I am not your nurse. And so I am not giving you any medical advice either. Take this information as educational and consult your doctor or your legal counsel as you see fit.